And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. It's another Hoops Adjacent episode of the Athletic MBA Show. I'm David Aldridge in the hottest MBA city in the country, Washington, D.C. Waz in L.A. What's up, Waz? I mean, just because the Knicks lost last night don't mean New York isn't on fire still about that team, D.A. They, they, they got to share it. Let's put it. They got to share it with D.C. They we'll do. do they do have to share the heat with D.C., who improbably has been on fire lately, man, which has been nice it, to it, see considering, you know, some of the just dreck we've seen this season from the teams at the bottom. It's nice to see some resilience out of D.C., well, it's, it's funny you should mention that, Waz, because we're going to talk to our man Fred Katz here in just a second about, about that because I, I actually wrote, <laughs> I wrote this piece a week ago saying that this was this was wrong of them to win now. They should keep losing and get to the bottom and <laughs> get that high draft pick. Um, but but now I've, I've seen the error of my ways. It, it's pointless now. What's the difference between picking 13th and 15th? There is no difference. You know what I mean? Right. So might as well go get that spot. So – yeah, as I mentioned, Fred Katz, who covers the, the Wizards for us for The Athletic, is here. Fred, thank you for joining us, my man. The Wizards have gone national. Never thought I, I would have seen this. <laughs> First time in two years. Well, that's not true. We had John Wall on when he was when he was still with the Wizards, you know, last year, right? I think during, you know, when nobody was playing. Right, we, we talked right. what a week for the Wizards, though. They, they got a nationally televised game against the Lakers on Wednesday. It's the first hmm, nationally televised game since 2019. Wow. <laughs> See, you know what's funny for I thought it was longer than that. I thought it was like 2016 well, they, was last. Time. They got during the normal seasons, everybody got one nationally. You were guaranteed oh, one nationally televised oh, game. They got that. They got that Sacramento joint. We used to do that at Turner all the time. We put Sacramento on like the second week of the season to get them out. To That's what happened. It was they, they clearly wanted to kill two birds with one stone. So two years ago, they put Wizards Cavs Friday night on ESPN like the second week of the season. They're like, let's just let's just get this out of the way. It was the same thing. To get it get it done. Get it done. Yeah, we always knew. You always knew if you were a sideline reporter, there was a good chance the first first month of the season you were going to go to sack. You know, you just knew you were going to go. <laughs> just, I got to plan my sack trip. So, so anyway, the Wizards did lose uh, Monday night uh, overtime game to San Antonio. Neither team played a lick of defense. Um, and San Antonio is is. I, I've got to tell you, we talk about the Wizards for a while here on this show, but I got to tell you, the Spurs to me, I kind I like what they're doing. I like the group they've got. I mean, they've got a really intriguing young core group. And, you know, we all know about White and, and you know, well, Walker's not really in the rotation. Right. He's playing some. DeJounte. Keldon, DeJounte, Keldon Johnson. I mean, they got some nice young players that, you know, I'm not sure what their ceiling is, but the floor's not bad. Pirtle's good, too. And Pirtle also, you know, has been a really good defensive player. You know, so, um, ironically, the one thing they could really use is a shooting big, like Davis Bertens, who they had to give away. Because they got the okie doke from Rich Paul. They thought they thought Markeith Morris was coming down there, or Marcus Morris was coming down there. 
Um, and they had to trade uh, Bertans to Washington, ironically enough, to get to create the space for Marcus Morris, who wound up not going there and going to the Knicks. And that really annoys the Spurs to no end because they don't like they don't like when you bring that up. They get very upset. So anyway, um, the Wizards have won, I think it's 10 of 12, Fred. Is that correct? Yeah, 10 of, with the loss last night? 10 of 12. 10 of 12. Yep. Who would have who would have who would have yep. thought? I I did not see this coming at all. And over that yep. 10 of 12 stretch, so that started on April 6th. And David, you know this as well as I do. Basically, for three straight years, this has been a team where the one thing you can pencil in is they are going to be bottom five in overall defense. That's just what they're going to be. They were 29th in points allowed per possession last year, and they came really close to having the giving up more points per possession than any team in the history of the league last year. If it weren't for the 2018 or the 2019 Cavs, they would have done it. They came really close to doing it the year before that when they finished 27 and those four teams at the bottom were all grouped at the bottom. And over this 12 game stretch, they're fifth in points allowed per possession. They're fifth in defensive efficiency. It's crazy. The turnaround they've played some easy teams, but they beat Utah during this stretch. And that includes a game where they gave up 146 to San Antonio, who by the way is fourth in defense during the stretch. So a 146, 143 game uh, really came out of nowhere for both of those teams. Uh, they, the defense has just hit, it's hit another level. They're communicating better. They're moving better. Uh, they're there. I think perimeter defense has been much better. Daniel Gafford has given them a much different element at the, at the rim in the middle of the floor. Uh, Alex Len has played well around the rim as well. I mean, they just look totally differently defensively than they did three months ago. Is that just a communication and effort thing? Cause you know, I hate getting cliche on here whenever we talk about defense. Cause there is such a thing as defensive talent, right? Like long arms, quick feet, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of it is just playing hard, like actually trying hard to, you know, execute your switches properly, to dig in and then get back out at shooters, to do these little things that coaches are always on players about. Is it just them doing more of it, and why haven't they done it for most of the year, if that's the case? So I'll say it's a few things, and I, I do think part of it is is the cliches. But I'll start I'll start with the actual physical talent stuff. They weren't playing very many rim protectors at the start of the year because mm. Thomas Bryan is a great offensive center, but is flawed defensively. Uh, they're playing Mo Wagner, who's not a rim protector and tries to take charges on everything. And Seth Barton, I wrote about this a little bit uh, in The Athletic today. But now they've got, if you look at Robin Lopez, Daniel Gafford, who they acquired at the deadline, who has been a revelation for them, and Alex Len, those guys all have really good numbers protecting the rim and have shown to just kind of varying levels of either annoying guys or if you're Gafford just flat out blocking intimidating shots he's blocking like four shots per 36 minutes it's crazy and and so when you're able to go from a team that can't protect the rim to a team that protects the rim really well you're really changing the dynamic of your defense being good at not giving up layups is incredibly important and I do think part of it is just like there were so many moments, and this sounds overly simplified, but I think if you're somebody who who is a, a prisoner of having to watch every Wizards game, you'll get what I mean by this. There are so many moments over the last three years, and in the early part of this year too, 
where they're just caught in scramble situations where somebody rotates to the wrong spot and then another teammate has to rotate to the wrong spot again. And then that next teammate has to rotate to the wrong spot. And all of a sudden you got five guys who are all collectively out of position and the other team gets a wide open three or an open layup or something terrible happens. And that would happen all the time. And you just don't see those moments with them as much over the last month or so with the defense has actually started to get better. It, it it predates this stretch where they're winning. Around the beginning of February, it really started to get better. They're they're like ninth or tenth in defense since the middle of February, and uh, it's it's just it's changed their dynamic. Why did the communication change to such a degree, and why are those scramble situations not happen as much? I. I don't know. I've been trying to figure <laughs> been trying to figure it out. I I don't know, but it's I know it's happening. The gods, Fred. Yeah. This, this I don't know. Basketball is a weird sport, and this is a weird freaking team. Like, well, may I, may I posit something, please? <laughs> the, the, the the switches they they the last you know during the stretch the the switches. It's the first time all year that they've actually done what they were supposed to do. The pre-rotations and all the things that they talk about doing, they actually do now. You know what I mean? Like, And so I think part of it could just be they finally have, to, to Waz's point, a more athletic group that they can put out there every night. You know, And when I say athletic, I don't mean necessarily jump high. I mean athletic in terms of using – like Robin Lopez can't jump, but Robin Lopez is huge. long. And he's huge and he's smart. So he knows how to contest shots at the rim, to your point earlier. So that's that's somebody. Gafford jumps out the building. I mean, he blocked Zion at the rim with the game on the line. And this was a no bullshit. Zion's about to dunk this ball through the floor kind of jump that Zion got. And Gafford capped him at the at the rim, at the rim. So that's kind of a freak athletic ability that he has. So you have all of that, but then you also have, I think, you know, all due respect to some of the guys that were playing earlier. I think these guys might just understand how to play defense a little bit better. I mean, even Bertans, who's not a good defensive player, has been better defensively this year. You know what I mean? Like he's 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 moving his feet. He's using his length to contest shots instead of swinging down on everything. Um, and it just... It's it's a it's a more effective result than what they were getting the first two and a half months. And and Bertans has been a lot better these last two months than he was the first two months or so or whatever it was. I mean, he showed up not in game shape at all for various reasons, right? And he has looked as he's gotten into better shape, the shot has come back. But his defense has been so much better than it was in January. I think I I think their coverages have something to do with it a little bit too. You know, when they had Thomas Bryan in there, when they had Wagner in there, they would they would send those guys kind of far from the rim. And a lot of their bigs now, they kind of try to keep more central to the rim. And it forces the guards to do more work, getting around screens and that kind of stuff. But it's I think it's working better for them when you're not sending your big man far from the rim. It, it protects against some of those scramble situations, too, because you kind of have a guy on the back line. And if that guy can defend the rim, if he can take a penetrator coming right at him, then like that that helps you that 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 can work and i think it's it's worked out better for them doing that kind of stuff you know what i love about this conversation is that we spent the first however many minutes of this convo talking about the wizards d because it's been the catalyst of this streak obviously right like a team that's been historically horrible playing top 5 defense is going to make a difference in their win total right but 
in the past, any team that Russ has been on, you know, uh, the success or non-success of those teams, the chatter has always centered around, well, what's Russ doing on offense? Is he making shots? Is he taking threes at all? Is he getting to the line? Is he doing his transition stuff? Um, I think it's fascinating that, you know, a Russ team, we can actually just talk about, hey, man, they're just guarding people now. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not contingent upon whether Westbrook, like a referendum on the merits of Westbrook's game. It's just guys are playing D. Waz, I've covered Russ for so many years now. I've said all there is to say. That's it. I'm talking about defense now. You know how much I've talked about triple doubles in my life? (laughs) It's true. It's true. So much of it goes to... Uh, you know, basically people deciding whether there's any merit to what the guy does on the court as if it's impossible for him to contribute to a team's winning, you know, if he's not shooting above, you know, say 46% from the field or whatever. When reality, man, Russ is a great playmaker. He's helping that engine move on offense. He's doing his thing. You know, obviously he's not an MVP candidate anymore, but he's still contributing to the bottom line of, what this team is doing. And I love that we can just talk about the real things that help these kinds of teams win. And, you know, unfortunately it's not as sexy as pull up three pointers, right? It's, it's a matter of literally a defensive rotation being executed three times in a row on one possession. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that simple. I'll tell you what, right. that fan base probably thinks that executing defensive rotations is the sexiest thing they've ever seen. I think they're, they are, that fan base is so over just trying to hit the pull up threes and see if you can win, you know, 132 to Mm -hmm. 130. I think that fan base, they, they want some, some actual grit and some actual defense and, and they're showing it. Russ, Russ is amazing to watch because I, I think he's got the largest range of quality from night to night or quarter to quarter of any player in the league right now where he can come out and he can be the single best player on the floor, no matter what. And he can come out and just have a total off night and it it can, it can change mid game. I mean, the Warriors game last week for 44 minutes, he's having one of his worst games of the year. And then all of a sudden the last four minutes, Draymond green fouls out and he decides, Oh, I'm just going to the hoop every single time. And he won them that game. He dominated the last four minutes of that game and it's just the range of quality that he he shows sometimes just second to second throughout a game is is amazing but when we talk about the actual winning streak this last he got off to a really slow start this year slower than last year in houston this last month and a half or so he's he's been he's been on the whole really good for them i mean he's been a major difference maker for them and Beal is just at this point a consistent, he's just good for like 28 to 35 points every single night on efficient shooting. And, uh, you know, when those two guys are going and you're defending at a top 10 level, you're, you're going to win some games. You're going to be a good team. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So so on, on, the, on the Russell front, I was going to ask you about this. You've covered him for many years in OKC and here now. Where does this season kind of fall in the pantheon of, of Westbrook seasons? Is this more a typical Westbrook season? Or is there something that's different this year that he's doing here? Uh, I think the fascinating part of Russ is that he has all of these different iterations and he just goes back and forth between those different iterations throughout the season. So you get pure point Russ every once in a while where he takes 11 shots and he makes seven of them and he turns the ball over twice and dishes out 16 assists. And he decides, I'm going to do that for four games. And then all of a sudden, after those four games, he'll have a game where he takes 28 shots. And then you get into volume, Russ. And then you go through that streak. And then you get, I'm not going to take any threes, Russ. And that happens for three or four games. He just doesn't take any threes. And the enigma with Russ is that, (laughs) it's kind of like I said with the defense, the enigma with Russ is you just don't know which one's coming. And you don't really know why it switches over because he doesn't particularly like to talk about it. And if you ask him, hey, you've only taken three threes over the last four games. Why is that? Or any variation of that question of any of the concepts that I was just talking about, he will give you the answer. The same answer he has given you his entire career, which is I play the game the same way every night. I just read the defense and I do what it tells me to do. And that is what he says every time. Uh, And it makes it very difficult to figure out. I think he loves how difficult it is to figure out. Uh, but I think Russ cycles through those iterations. He's he's not the player that he was when I covered him when he won MVP in 17. He's, he's not that, but he's still obviously a very good player. I contend that the rebounding stuff with him is is over. The, the rebound hunting with him is a wildly overstated thing. I think he is the best rebounding point guard I've ever seen in my life. And I think he's still that uh, it is outrageous. The types of rebounds that he gets. And it's not just the leaping over stuff. He, you know, that moment from the last dance where Dennis Rodman was talking about reading the ball in the air. Mm-hmm. He's pointing in every which direction. Russ is better at reading the ball off the fingertips and telling where it's going to hit on the rim. than maybe any player in the league right now mm. uh, where if you watch him when the ball goes up, he positions himself where it's going to go on the rim. And it's, it's pretty, I mean, that's just a talent. I mean, that's just an instinct that you're born with. I don't know how you could possibly teach somebody to do that. He's no, you can learn if you're, I mean, if you have that kind of sense of spatial relationships, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's like it was something that came out of the womb with him. (laughs) I mean, like he played basketball for a long time and, and, and some people get it. Yeah. He, he was one of them. He's what Rotman's one of yeah. them. Zach Randolph you know? was great uh, at that. Yeah. I mean, I just, and I completely agree with you on the rebounding thing. And it's the thing that's annoyed me about the kind of devaluing of triple doubles um, because he gets a lot of them. So if somebody gets a lot of something, it can't be that good anymore. Right. And so the whole notion that the triple double doesn't mean anything, just look at the record. I just keep, just look at their record. Look at his team's record when he gets a triple double. Now they, 
he lost. They lost the first five times. He got a triple double this year. But there's something like 12 and 7 cents. You know what I mean? 13, 7 cents. And over his career, it's somewhere around 73, 74% of the time. They win. So what are you talking about? (laughs) If he gets a triple-double and they win 73% of the time, what is wrong with him getting triple-doubles? Like, Yeah, and I think the the rebounded thing got a bit overblown in the sense that, you know, if you are Russ's team, you want him to have the rebound because you want him to be in transition immediately. Like, that's just the fact, right? Like, he's one of the most dynamic transition players ever. That's not overstating it. That's not hyperbole. That's just fact, right? So why wouldn't you Mm -hmm. want one of the best transition players in the history of the sport to start as many transitions as possible? Like, that that, that just seems like obvious fact. The rebounding thing definitely... Because it did go viral when all of the, the, the collection of, you know, Stephen Adams blocking out seven people by himself to let right. Russ get the rebound. Like some of those clips went a little viral, but I think it did take away from the fact that Russ is in his own right a great rebounder. And two, it helps his team. Well, I've always said this though about that, Waz. Stephen Adams is seven feet tall and he's 280 pounds. You really think he's, if he wants to get the ball, he's not going to get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, it, like he's getting out, outworked by Russell Westbrook. Do we really think that's what's happening? I mean, there's a reason for it. You know what I mean? Like think about it for a second, instead of just reacting because you want James Harden to be the MVP that year. You know what I mean? Like it just, it just drove me nuts. It drove me. Nuts. Yeah. The, the, the other free throw thing, and, and this is kind of a chicken or egg thing, or I should say the other rebounding thing is, and it's a chicken or egg thing is that he gets every defensive rebound off a missed free throw. Every, yeah. every single one of them, he gets them. And so people say he gets a ton of the rebounds. So the year, the year he won the MVP, he got, this is per clean in the glass. He got 62% of free throw misses. Uh, he, he gathered 62% of those, uh, that puts him in the 100th percentile. He has, <laughs> by the way, the previous year, he was at 20%. 20% right. was also the 100th percentile. <laughs> so that's how high 62% is. Right, and, right, and I think right. that's where the the narrative really started to come. And then they talked about the, people start to talk about the uncontested rebounds. And, and, and people aren't wrong, by the way. He does get a disproportionate amount of uncontested rebounds. He does drift under the basket off his man waiting for a rebound. It does happen. But he gets 11 of them. So what? Right. So he, otherwise he'd get nine? Okay, your point guard's just getting nine organic rebounds, eight organic rebounds? It's pretty good. Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty <laughs> good. Right. So uh, so with, with this team, you know, they, they have taken advantage of, of this. You know, they've played some bad teams. I'll put it that way. They've, they've, they've beaten all the bad teams uh, in a row. It's not that the schedule is decidedly harder down the stretch, but they do play – you know, Indiana's better than the teams that they've been playing, and I think they've got them twice and some other teams. I I believe that still it's going to be harder for them not to make the playoffs, to make the play-in tournament, I should say, at this point, than not make it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think they match up pretty well with Indiana, too, because with Miles Turner out, like we just talked about Beal and Russ, it, th- those guys can get to the rim so well. The thing that props up their offense is that, Beal and Russ are able to get to the rim. They're able to draw free throws. And with Miles Turner out, I just I think that's a that's a difficult matchup for Indiana. Mm-hmm. And they have them twice. And I, I think it's plausible they could I think it's more likely they end up in ninth than that they end up in eleventh, which is very famous last words 
for when you're talking about the Wizards. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, I think that's probably true. Chicago's been struggling like crazy. And uh they got the, they got the Wizards have Cleveland twice as well. And I just I think I think they should be able to pull it out. If they go six and five or even seven and four over these last eleven, then they they are going to make it really difficult on Chicago or Toronto to come back. They have Toronto one once as well. So that's going to be an important game for them. If they win that game in Tampa, uh, I, I'm, I wouldn't bet my life on it at all. But if I, if I had to pick one of those three to get to 10, assuming Indiana is going to be there as well. I, I think the the wizards would be the one. Yeah. And I, I tend to agree with you, Fred, that, um, you know, the schedule is permitting. And I think, they can smell it. They can taste it. And the talent level is such that they should be able to eke this thing out in the end and finish around six and five, like you said. But, you know, since we both, well, all three of us know that the Wizards, you know, they're not going to exactly be contending for the championship this season. I do want to spin it forward for the future and ask about a couple of guys, um, specifically Denny Avdia, who, you know, it's his rookie year. They've given him the minutes. 23 minutes a game for a rookie is pretty good for a team that, you know, claims to want to make the playoffs, right? Since we know rookies are historically bad. Um, I would be remiss. And by the way, DA, I don't know if you know this, but we have a we have an Israeli contingent that listens to this pod. And and we've never said the word Denny Abdia on this pod. I don't think oh, ever. I, was, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, we should we should we should do the weekly Abdia update. Yeah, we absolutely yeah. should. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> so I want to ask Fred about what he's seen from Denny this season. And I know, I know he's a fellow member of the tribe, Fred. So you better watch your words, brother. <laughs> Oh my God, the 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 Denny fans when when they follow you, man, do they follow you? They are that is a fan base. Uh, you know, it was it was I thought it was really unfortunate to to see him, uh, you know, have have the fracture in his leg last week. Uh, that was just a really unfortunate way for for his season to end. You know, honestly, with Denny, it's kind of hard to figure him because he comes into the league as as somebody I think the Wizards thought of as potentially a secondary playmaker, a big wing who maybe they could give the ball to to create and be able to get to the rim. And and you saw moments of that and you saw moments of his high IQ and maybe his defensive potential and, and his ability to grab a defensive rebound and go the other way because he's really fast in transition. Uh, and then they mostly just ended up kind of relegating him to more of an off ball role. Cause when you put him in a starting lineup with Beal and Westbrook, those guys are going to use up the vast majority of your offense. And you're just kind of left with spot up guys, screeners, rollers, and cutters. And and that's basically what you have inside that offense. And, and Denny was just kind of Denny ends up relegated to the corner in that situation. So it's a little bit difficult to decipher exactly what he's going to end up being. I think the talent is there. He fouled too much defensively, but that's a rookie thing. I think that's something he can overcome. I, I see why they like him defensively. He's long, he's athletic, moves his feet well, he plays hard, he's very competitive. So I, I see why they like him, but he 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 looked like a 20-year-old to me this gotcha. year. Like I, I could see him becoming a good player, but he's 20 and he looks 20, you know? The the funny thing with Avdia to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, Fred, is I, I actually, I think he's got 
a lot more potential than Rui does, frankly. Mm. I mean, I just, <laughs> and it, I, I, I saw him do things that I still haven't seen Rui do. And it's just, a, you spoke to the fluidity that he plays with, his ability to handle a good passer, you know, very good passer. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll contest a shot. He's not going to ever be a great shot blocker, but he'll contest a shot. And it's not that Rui's a bad player. He's made really good improvements this year. But to me, if you say who has the higher ceiling, I think it's, I don't even think it's close. I think obvious ceiling is much higher than Rui's. Um, so we're saying Denny and, is the future. That's the problem. Why is they play the same spot? <laughs> you know, like, like they tried to play them together, you know, and neither one of them is a great three point shooter. Mm. So, but so what do they do there? Like going forward? Yeah. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. I think it's going to come down to if Denny can develop a three point shot. And, and I think they're, they're going to try to rework some of his fundamentals. Rui's three point shot has gotten better this year. It's better than it was last year for sure. Which is good. It's, right? it's not all the way there. I think the thing with Rui is less his shooting ability from three and more his comfort inside the three point line. He's, just from a tendency standpoint, he is just more comfortable inside the three-point line, independent of whether or not he can actually make the threes. And he's shown he can make them at an acceptable level off the catch this year. But he's just more comfortable hanging around inside the three-point line, and and that can change. But, it, you know, skills tend to develop more so than, than tendencies and comfort levels do. Often you kind of are who you are. And so ultimately, if you've got Denny not really hitting threes and then you've got a, a center, I guess Thomas Bryant will be able to hit threes if he's back in healthy next year. But you've got Russ who's not hitting threes. And then you've got your two guys in the wing who aren't hitting threes. It's like your offense is, is going to be capped. And also, mm-hmm. let's not forget, you know who else plays the same position? Davis Bertans who they gave $80 million to and is on year one right, of a five-year right. deal. So right. you've got kind of a jam there that they're going to have to figure out. And I don't fault them for drafting the guy who they believe was the best available player, independent of fit and independent of position. Mm-hmm. They they lost at a 50-loss pace last year. You, If you think there's a guy who's definitively the best guy and he's on the board and that's what they thought, you take him. I have no problem with that. But they just mm-hmm. they have some stuff to figure out in terms of how those guys are all going to mesh together. Well, this gets... Oh, go ahead. No, yeah. I wanted to talk about Bertans because you mentioned the 80 million bucks over five years. Um, That's basically average starter money, right? Like, it's this belief that you're a starter of average quality, and so this is how much we think you should get paid. Um, I thought he's been fine this year. What's your sense about the Wizards internally, about how they feel about... The Bertans deal having, you know, three quarters of the way, 80% of the season through on the first year. I think, DA, tell me if you agree with this. I think they're feeling pretty fine about it lately. Like the mm. way he's he's been he's been on fire lately. He got off to a really bad start, and I think it was looking bad then. And I have to imagine they were thinking, like, oh man, this is this this has got to get fixed, even though nobody ever really vocalized that to me. But when your guy yeah. who you're paying $80 million to purely for his shooting is shooting 35% at the start of the year from three, I don't know how you could think anything else. But that's, he's that's, yeah. that's an ideal. That's not <laughs> he's shooting close to 50% over nice. from three over the last month and a half. And yeah. he just hits it's not just the percentage. He's elite. I mean, he hits everything. He's elite. Yeah, he's elite. He's an elite level three point shooter. I keep saying you can pay for elite. 
I'll have no problem ever paying for elite. He's elite. Yeah. At at that, at at that, at that thing. He's not elite at anything else, but he's elite at that. And he hits him from everywhere. I mean, off a screen, turning around 32 feet and it just swishes in and he has no conscience. He has no interest in passing anyone the ball ever. <laughs> hey man, you you know what though? You need that when you know one of your best players is Westbrook. Like you need somebody with that type of gravity. And Fred, you mentioned Russ and Brad are living at the free throw line and getting to the rack. You, they can't really do that. If the court is extremely constricted, right, when you don't have guys like Bertan who command so much, Bertans, excuse me, who command so much attention, you know, out to 27 feet. So he'll serve his purpose. But, yeah, it's always nice when the shots that he actually does take when he's not drawing the attention, you know, fall at a 50 percent rate. That's that's pretty nice if you could get it. Oh, yeah. I I had somebody tell me last year. So when he was in San Antonio, he had this joke with staffers where guys would just come up to him and say, hey, Davis, when was the last time you missed? And every time he would have to respond, I never miss. He, <laughs> he is the most confident dude. And, and he, he doesn't always come off that way in interviews. He, he'll come off as kind of humble. And then you hear stories of, of the, every once in a while, he'll let something slip by, I asked him uh, where the end of his – it was a game last year where he hit 30, like a couple of 30-footers in the game. So I asked him how far out his range could go in a game if he really let it fly. And he responded, I haven't found out yet. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he is a, just a wildly confident human being, just unbelievably so. And it – I mean, it it shows. It's showing lately because he's just he's got no conscience. And Scott Brooks loves it. Scott Brooks says every time he takes 12 threes, Scott Brooks says, I want him taking 12 threes every game. So so they love it. That is that is what they want for sure. So so, Fred, assuming they get in and I mean, it's still it's still, you know, it's up in the air. It doesn't mean that they're going to get in because Toronto's got some stuff and they, they can still figure it out. But um, if they did get in, whether it's a seven, it's, well, it won't be seven. It'd be an eight seed, I guess. Um, I said this last week when we, we had Monty Poole on, we were talking about the Warriors. I said, I actually think the Wizards have a better chance to compete against Brooklyn than they do against Philly. Because they got zero answer for Embiid. They got nothing for Joel Embiid. <laughs> like, they don't have – even though these three guys defensively have been much better, none of them can guard Embiid. Zero. They have zero chance of guarding him. Whereas with Brooklyn, it's 145, 143. Well, they could win a couple of those games. You know you know what I mean? Somebody misses a shot. Somebody makes a shot. You know? So what do you think their actual chances of being competitive in a first-round series would be? I agree with you about Philly. Philly, oh man, Embiid against them. Oh God, <laughs> no chance, no chance. Oh my God, I mean, <laughs> that would be like uh, Shaq in the finals against the Nets. I mean, right, right, right. <laughs> that would be that would be outrageous. That guy is unreal. Uh, I mean, quite honestly, if the Nets are full throttle. I really, I don't see that being particularly competitive either. It, it kind of comes they can't down to beat that. Them. I'm not saying they can beat them. I'm saying they yeah. can compete with them better than they can with. Them. I mean, look, 
they haven't beaten Philly this year and they've beaten Brooklyn twice. So mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. that's the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's probably, and, and, and one of the times they beat Brooklyn, Brooklyn had KD and Kyrie. So, right. So that's, that's probably the answer. Uh, but I don't know, Brooklyn, if, if, if KD is healthy and Harden is healthy and Kyrie is healthy, I just, there's so much firepower there that I, I, I guess I would say Brooklyn too, but I, 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 it's not like I picked that series to go six or something, you know, I think maybe they, (laughs) they hang in there a little longer. Maybe you get really good. Russ, Russ just plays well against KD. That's (laughs) yeah. in in that Brooklyn game where Russ and, and it would be Russ and Scott Brooks versus, versus KD Mm. Harden and Jeff Green. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Every right. every single Thunder fan who follows me is going to be crying hysterically as they watch that series. Um, <laughs> I like the thing I like about that is that Russ will go into that series with zero, like not even I mean, forget fear, like almost no respect for KD. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like you wouldn't even respect 100%. them going into the series, and would and that's to me would be what would be compelling about that is because you know normally and then it's, and it's on merit. I mean, KD comes onto the floor and people go, God. What Damn, am I supposed to do with this? Unstoppable. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like, I, got, I can't do anything with this guy. And Russ is like, man, I'll guard that. Yeah, you know right, what I mean? Like, right. he has no fear. Zero fear. You know what I mean? And that's after battle to me. So I think they could be competitive. It would be fun. I hope they get Brooklyn. I just think it would be a fun series. I think it would it would average the over-under on points would be somewhere around 270, 275 probably. <laughs> um, and I think it would be fun. Um, Philly would not be fun. That would be a four oh four one, you know, just beat down <laughs> to me. So right, no, I'm, a- I'm I'm with you on Philly. Philly would man, Philly full throttle would scare the hell out of me. There are two possibilities for rust in that series. You could get you could get the rust that you got in that Brooklyn game earlier this year, if if you guys remember it, where where they come back. Russ is just unbelievable in the fourth quarter. He mm-hmm. goes for like a 42 point triple double. And then he hits yeah. a game winner off a of steal in Brooklyn. It was just an unbelievable game. And, uh, he was incredible that night. That was one of his best games of the season. You get that one. Or when Russ goes in deciding I'm going to destroy, you get like, you could get 2018 playoff series Russ or t- against Utah or 2019 against Dame where he decides he's going to make it personal with the point guard or in 2018 he decides he's going to make it personal with Ricky Rubio and he takes 40 yeah. he took 19 three-point attempts in an elimination game 19 <laughs> <laughs> and he took 19 three-point attempts in an elimination game and and decides to get personal with Ricky Rubio. I think he took forty six shots in that game or something. And they they did not win that game. It was not an they elimination game so for them. Forty six shots, and you know, that's wow. Tough. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get you out on this. Fred. Every week we we ask the people to send not stupid questions to us. As I said on Twitter, here's an example of a stupid question. Why can't the Cavs get Kawhi and C3P this summer in free agency? That would be a stupid question. We don't want stupid questions. Don't ask us no stupid questions. So Anthony Smith did not send us a stupid question, and it's Wizards-related, so I want you to take a run at this. Uh, Fred, do you think with this run the Wizards have – do you think this run the Wizards have been on is enough to A, save Scott Brooks's job, 
B, make Bradley Beal want to sign another extension in DC. Fred, you thought you was going to get out of here without Bradley Beal extension talk? <laughs> you, you, you thought. You thought. <laughs> we're, we're hitting on all of the topics that have controlled my life for the last five years. <laughs> Between the Russ triple doubles, Brad's free agency. Uh, I so So the way Brad tends to work on this stuff is – He's he's a big end of the season reflection guy. And yeah. and so Brad is always the most optimistic person in the room about the Wizards. And every single year, even last year when they openly said that it was a rebuilding year and that it was development over wins, like management explicitly said that. Brad was telling everybody, "No, we are I know they said that. I know that's true, but we are better." than you guys think we are. I'm telling you. And he really believes it. So Brad is always yeah, the most weren't. optimistic person in the room about the Wizards. Uh, I think it yeah. will depend on what actually happens in the postseason. I, I, I don't know what would happen with Brooks. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a new coach next year. His contract is up after this year. I don't want to dig into saying one thing will definitively happen, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a new coach next year, considering the contract situation and any coach who's in a lame duck deal is, is, you know, going to be in a, in a murky situation coming off of a third straight losing season. And, and chances are, even if they have a hot finish, it's still a losing season. Well, there's seven, seven under with what, 11 to go. I mean, they'd have to, they'd have really to destroy. It. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's really hard for a coach to overcome that when his contract is up and it's, it's just kind of an organic, it's an organic thing. And he's been there for five years, but, but you know, we, it kind of depends on what the postseason run is. I, I will say people there like Scott Brooks and that's something he has yeah. going for him. Beal likes him. Westbrook loves him and always has. He gets along sure. well with management. And when people like you, you know, you get the benefit of the doubt on the lost stuff. So, so that's something that I don't think should be overlooked in the situation. And, and, and as, as for Brad, I, I would not expect, uh, I would expect him to hit free agency in 2022. That doesn't mean that I'm saying he'll demand a trade after this year, but I just, I would expect him to, to hit free agency in 2022 and, and, and go for his 35% max when he's a 10 year vet in free agency. DA, what? Just to see what it, just to see what it's like, right? Sure, sure. I mean, go go do that. I that that would be yeah. my my guess. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense for him not to hit free agency at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't. Like, he has to see what's out there and where where he fits in the in the firmament of the NBA. Uh, at it was six asks us non non Wizards question to finish up. If Milwaukee stays at three and Miami gets the six, which what chances do you give the Bucks to come out of the East? The road to the finals would be Miami, Philly, and Brooklyn. To me, it's a fifty fifty series. Um, yeah. You know, you have to yeah. slightly favor Milwaukee in that. I think they're the slightly more talented crew, and home field advantage or home court advantage not actually being a real thing this season, to me, that's got to be a toss-up because I give Miami a decided coaching advantage. Um, mm. And, you know, the talent is pretty close. And they, you know, psychologically, they kicked their asses up and down the court last year, you know? Sure um, and so I, I would, you know, I'd, I'd give Miami a 50-50 chance of pulling that out for sure. Because, one, I trust their crunch time offense a lot more than I do Milwaukee's. Although, you know, it's been nice to see Bud try some new things finally this year, <laughs> you know. And I think what was cool about it, um, guys, is that they sacrificed some success by doing that. 
by trying out these, you know, non-Giannis-centric, dribbling from 35 feet out, trying to initiate offense with five minutes to go, right? Like, they've sort of sacrificed winning by doing new things both offensively and defensively. So, you know, I think they'll be better than they've shown because, you know, it's been so public how much people just just ripped them for their playoff execution or lack thereof. But, yeah, I, I like Miami's chances just as good as theirs. I would, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say, you know, Miami would have a great chance of winning it, but your man, our man, P.J. Tucker, might have something to say about that. Mm. And that's why I think Milwaukee might be a little bit better equipped to deal with Jimmy Buck, Jimmy Butler this time around than they were last year, where he just kind of bullied everybody to try to guard yep. him. He ain't going to bully P.J., right. you know what I mean? Like, And so, to me, even if P.J., and I know he's not shooting the ball great from three yet with them, but I think that... You know, knowing that you can put a guy on him that you don't have to like tilt the floor to guard him, I think that will help Milwaukee in the series this year around. Plus, I, you know, frankly, Miami's just not playing as well as they were last year in the bubble. Like whatever yeah. it was, they they were all in on the bubble. Like they bought into the whole bubble thing. You know, us against the world and the coffee and all that stuff. It's not there this year. You know, like I've seen them play several times, and you know, Miami. You know what Miami's there? Hard. They play hard. They're going to guard you. They're going to try to guard you. You know. But they're not the same as they were last year. So I, w- I would think Milwaukee would feel pretty decent about that. Now, can they beat – if they beat – even if they beat Milwaukee, Miami, can they beat Philly and Brooklyn to get to the finals? Eh, eh, not quite sure about that. I don't know. Fred, what do you think? I mean, I think it's Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee made some changes to their defense. They're, they're a little better at switching now. I agree with you. PJ Tucker is going to help a lot. And Miami just like, they can't score without Jimmy Butler this year. Their, their offense is just really, really falling off. And it's, it's just not the same when Butler's not on there. I just, I think it's, I think it's Milwaukee. I think they have, they have a more talented roster and I don't know. Last year, I don't want to say it was a fluke. It wasn't a fluke. But it was a it was a situation of Miami playing an impeccable series, doing everything right, Spolster coaching out of his mind, and Milwaukee just kind of not doing anything right. And I feel like yeah. if we replay that in today's circumstances with the revised rosters, and by the way, Drew Holiday is really, really good right. and will help right, with right, all right, of right, these right, things right. we're mentioning and is having a great right. year. Like I, I I think it's Milwaukee. Yeah, part of part of Miami's success definitely in the playoffs was their style of play was so different from what everybody was used to trying to guard. And a lot of people just got caught off guard with what they were doing with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero off ball and on the perimeter, all of the, like, the ball movement. It was, you know, they they took people by surprise. And, you know, Milwaukee was so damn dedicated to this pack the paint drop coverage that they just rained threes on their heads uncontested the whole freaking before they even knew it they were down 3-0 with no adjustments made right I don't think that'll be the case this year but I don't know man it's something about there's something about just accepting that Giannis is a finisher and not an initiator that I don't know that Milwaukee has come to grips with yet that makes them very vulnerable to me 
You know, because it's yeah. just an ideal way of using the guy, in my opinion. You know, he's more AD than LeBron. That's what I always say. Like, he's not hmm. the offensive initiator. He should be finishing these right. possessions. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I would love to be wrong because I would love to see Giannis you know, sort of reaches full potential and be unencumbered by, you know, trying to be freaking Kobe on the perimeter, right? Like, I, I wish <laughs> we could see him so he could reach his, you know, his max potential, but we'll see what they do. Right, right. I mean, it'll be good. I mean, it'll be, I think they'll get out of the first round. Um, I think if they play Philly, that would be a great second round series. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But, Fred, it's Wizards After Dark. And Fred's been doing this podcast since since he started since he joined us at the Athletic and was to do it two almost two years of podcasts on the Wizards like almost every day. I mean, just think it's about called that. hard work, <laughs> dedication, about professionalism, you know what I'm perseverance, <laughs> resilience, grit. <laughs> All you know of those words apply to Fred Katz on the Wiz beat, man. Admirable, man. <laughs> yes, I tip my cap. If I was wearing a cap, I would tip it to you. So listen to Wizards <laughs> After Dark. It's a great podcast. Um, and thank you all for listening as always appreciate it leave that five star review on Apple Podcasts on Spotify wherever you get this program if you have a less than five star review keep it to yourself shout out to my man Bubba Wallace hang in there my man later thanks Fred thank you guys Fred, I appreciate man. it As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.